Spaghetti. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come, O Holy Spirit, enlighten my understanding to know your commands. Strengthen my heart against the wiles of the enemy. Inflame my will. I have heard your voice, and I don't want to harden my heart to resisting by saying later tomorrow. Nunc chepe now, lest there be no tomorrow for me. O Spirit of truth and wisdom, Spirit of understanding and counsel, Spirit of joy and peace, I want what you want. I want it because you want it. I want it as you want it. I want it when you want it. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. So, as, you know, we kind of come to the end of the, well, the school year, but we're also coming to the end of the religious education year as well, we are also in the midst of the Easter season. And so there's a whole lot of stuff to tie up, and we've been talking a lot to all of the parents, all of you, over the past many months about the Mass itself and the importance and the centrality of the Mass in our lives. And in reality, it's all brought to fruition And what is the point of the Mass and what's the point of the whole endeavor that we undertake as Christians. But in Easter, we come to a greater understanding of what that is. And ultimately, as we look at Easter, like, what is Easter? What, what is, like, the reality? Like, you know, obviously, people know the religious answer, like, Jesus rose from the dead, yada, yada, yada. You know, it's a day on which most, a lot of Catholics come back to Mass. But why is it so, but, I mean, like, what is it? And ultimately, yes, Easter is obviously the day on which Jesus rose from the dead. And I think we've grown so used to hearing that. We've so, grown so used to hearing Jesus rose from the dead, he is alive, blah, 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 blah. Because in many ways, like one, it's been 2,000 years. It's old news at this point in some ways to many people, right? We've heard it again and again and again. Not to mention, we now have many other storylines that have similar things, like when does a show or a movie actually kill off a character for good? Never, right? Like this has become now a common trope. Movies bring people back from the dead all the time. Like that's not that uncommon. But I think we have to like also situate ourselves in the first century and really pretty much all of human history up until about 50, 60 years ago. Death was such a common thing. It was a daily, daily reality. People just died more often. People did not live as long. So you did not expect to live past you know, your 30s, 40s, generally speaking, for a, long, a good period of human history. Infant mortality rates, like up until 1920, were like very bad, very drastic, even in the Western world, up until like the 1920s and 30s. Still bad in certain parts of the world. But we have to keep in mind like the context in which the resurrection takes place. Death is an everyday reality and no one comes back from it. We might like kind of shock somebody and bring them back to life on the operating table we might experience a different reality. We might, you know, again, like in movies, we might see somebody come back from the dead, but that was like literally unheard of. People didn't come back, and they certainly didn't come back stronger. You know, people didn't get tortured in that way and then come back stronger, able to overcome cars or anything of that sort. So this was certainly something that was unique, new, and it's still unique, but we've just grown so, it's become so common within our imagination that we've kind of glossed over it. 
But the importance of Easter really comes down to the fact that Jesus really rose from the dead. And that's a big deal because that doesn't happen. You know the other times it happened? When Jesus raised somebody from the dead. That's literally it. Those are the only instances in which somebody comes back from the dead is if it's related to the Lord himself. So what happened? Jesus broke the prison bars of death. Death apparently didn't have power over him. So that's what happened, and that's why, and then like, why is it a big deal? It's because that doesn't happen. Even this day and age, you can't bring somebody back after three days. You might get a couple minutes. You might even get up to like 20 minutes. There are some people who say they were gone for an hour, but people don't go away for three hours or three days and come back from that in a better state. And so what happens and why is it important? Why it's significant is because of what I also mentioned. Who are the other, other stories of people coming back from the dead that we hear? The people that Jesus raised. That's why it's significant for us. It's because apparently he didn't just do it to glorify himself, but he also gives us a little taste of what it means for us. It means that we are also meant for a similar destiny. You know, because this is always something that, um, like, wherever I was at my internship parish, I spent a lot more time in the school because, well, I didn't have to do all the boring pastor stuff. But, like, one of the most common, like, questions was, like, what's heaven going to be like? Or what's, like, what's, like, Jesus is resurrected. Like, what does the afterlife look like? What does that mean? Right? And I always had to point out, well, let's, like, look at what's similar. So Jesus comes back and he actually does have a body, Right? So one of the first things that the disciples, they think they're seeing a ghost, right? They think he's a ghost. So what does he do? He says, well, you can touch, touch me. Like, put your hands into my nail holes, put your hands into my side. Like, you can literally touch me. You can feel me. And then the next thing that he does kind of has two, two pieces of significance. So one, then, he sit, then he'll usually say something like, do you have anything to eat? And they're like, yeah, we got some fish or some bread or something. They hand it to him. First of all, he can hold it. And then he eats. And they see him eat. It doesn't like, you know, fall through the, doesn't fall through his ghost-like body to the floor. But instead, he's actually able to eat. So what the first significance of that is, like, he has a real body. The second significance is, apparently, food's still a part of heaven. Even in our glorified body, apparently, we'll still eat, which is good news, because I think that's probably one of our most enjoyable things, right? And it's also fitting with, most common image of heaven we have is like, right? The wedding, well, blessed are those who are called to the, wet, to the supper of the Lamb is what we, at the, right before we receive Holy Communion, right? That's what we say. Behold the Lamb of God, behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those who are called to the supper of the Lamb. So we even see that the heavenly liturgy, which is the Mass, even has a meal aspect to it, right? Like we're supposed to eat. And Jesus, whenever he gives descriptions of heaven, he oftentimes compares it to a wedding banquet. So it's very clear that we're still in body form. We're going to eat. Like, I don't know if sleep's a part of that. That's not real clear. But there are some things that are significantly different. There are some things that are different. Number one, it says that, you know, in John's gospel, whenever Jesus appears to them, it says, Jesus came into their midst while the, doors were, while the disciples had the doors locked for fear of the Jews. So apparently he can pass through walls. Like, 
in some ways, like the laws of physics, can be suspended or they're kind of bent in his glorified form. So apparently we're going to be able, we're going to have some sort of things that are like going to be different for us. While having some of the similarities, like we'll still be able to eat, we'll still feel, speak, all those kind of things. There's also this indication that like, well, there's a little bit more to it, right? And they don't recognize him too. So there's like one part is like, he can pass through walls, which is kind of a crazy ability. What else can he do? Who knows? Can he do all the stuff a Superman can do? Maybe. Who knows? But then also, in this, another piece of that that you kind of see is that the disciples again and again, where he first appears to them, so like Mary Magdalene, where she goes into the garden, she finds the tomb empty, she's weeping, and Jesus says, who are you looking for? And she thinks it's the gardener, so she doesn't recognize him. So apparently his glorified body is beyond what he was before. He's unrecognizable in a sense. But then she does recognize him eventually. So there's something that is different. So there's something elevated about his glorified body. Why am I telling you all of this? Because we need to recognize that it's true, that it's real, and that resurrection from the dead, heaven is not, is similar, but it's not the same as this life. You know? Because one of the things that just drives me nuts is like whenever somebody will get, you know, like, Somebody will talk at like a funeral luncheon and it'll be like, oh, you know, Uncle Fred, he's up there, you know, drinking his beer and watching the Browns win the Super Bowl right now. And it's like, uh, no, it's probably the last thing he's worried about at this moment. He doesn't care. That's the last thing that concerns him at this moment. He's got like way bigger fish to fry, namely like worship of the triune God for all of eternity. It's kind of a big deal. And so we see that things like, so things are different, but it's similar. So there is going to be like, so there's going to be some sort of eating feasting aspect to it. So maybe there's some sort of heavily beer, but it's not the crappy bush light that we all drink, you know, Mercer Shelby County. (laughs) Hey, hey, I'm from Mercer County. I love my bush too. So just saying, just saying, you know, but we really need to think about this because again, we so often get caught up in like the here and now, like, I find that the more I've reflected on eternity, like the more bold I've gotten my preaching. Why? Because, because, like I'm convinced now, more convinced than I was before. Like I obviously there's still like, but now I'm, I'm more convinced that like, oh, heaven's real. Like eternity's real. The resurrection's real. And if it's real, then you dang well know, I want you to know it's real too, Right? Because if that's real, then to hell with everything else. I don't care about, like, being liked is way less important to me then. Like, I'm trying to get to heaven myself, and I'm also trying to get you to heaven. You know? And I've had this experience as a priest before, too, that I say something, it ticks somebody off, and they're probably not going to like me forever. But they still end up, like, coming to Mass. So, like, told somebody they had to go to Mass, they got really ticked at me, I still don't think they like me. But they go to Mass every week, so when don't care like right like i don't care if they don't like me i do care but in the end like that's not what matters in the end that's not what matters in the end that's just like kind of a a part of it right obviously i want them to i shouldn't try to like seek for people to actively hate me but if i say the right thing and it helps them to bring somebody along the path of truth so that they end up turning to the lord more fully even if it means at the expense of my reputation or them liking me Oh, well, 
greater glory to God in that moment. So there's those elements there, like as I've reflected more and more upon that reality, it's deep in my own sense of like, holy crap, this is real. I've got to lead my people here. I've got to lead you there. And so Easter, that significance is for all of us. Because we who are baptized, because again, I like repeat this all the time because it is the most important thing. We who are baptized into his death are also baptized into his resurrection. What does that mean? Well, it means two things. First, as we go back to like what Father Aaron was probably talking to you about with Holy Week, like everything's oriented around that, right? This life, as we, you know, we pray in the uh, Hail Holy Queen, the veil of tears, right? This, this life is a veil of tears. There's great moments. You know, I had First Communion this past weekend. It was great. You know, great moments. Last week had like a moment where, you know, my godson who I don't get to see all that often, like actively came up to me, gave me a hug, and then like wanted to give me a smooch. Like moments like that, which were great, beautiful. But then at the same time, like a lot of life is struggle. Like how many of us really want to get out of bed in the morning? Not I. Do I actively like want to get up and have to answer a bunch of emails to which a lot of the answers are no, 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 maybe, yes, no, no, no. Like, do I want to get up and do that? No, not really. You know, do I want to all of a sudden go from being like pastor of one child to all of a sudden being father of quads here in a few short months? Like, not really. Like, we don't want to get up and do these things, right? Make our bed do my laundry, do the dishes. Like, we don't want to. I get that. But at the same time, like, we can pray with Christ, and this is one of those great things about, like, St. Thomas More has some of the most comforting words. Like, I've been reading, I'm still reading it even just because it's taken me a long time to get through. I wasn't able to get through it in Lent. It's called The Sadness of Christ. But he reflects upon, as he's preparing for his own martyrdom, so he's in the Tower of London. He's under trial because he... Because St. Thomas More, uh, you know, he did not go with Henry VIII, who separated from the Catholic Church, but instead Thomas More stuck with his Catholic faith. And eventually that got into trouble with the king, and so then he's being imprisoned in the Tower of London. He knows that this is eventually leading to execution. And so he writes The Sadness of Christ in the midst of this. And he has, like, this comforting thought to himself because he was, like, he was scared, you know? He was scared. He didn't want to be martyred. He didn't want to experience any of this stuff. And at first he was like really, he was discouraged because he's like, but I read all these stories of all these martyrs who were like, you know, you have like St. Lawrence who made a joke, like he's being grilled alive and he says, turn me over, I'm done on this side. You know, like funny, it's great. Like that'd be awesome if I'd be able to have that kind of courage in the face of my own death. And then you hear like other saints who were like literally singing as they go to their death. And so St. Thomas More is like getting discouraged. He's like, that isn't how I feel. I do not feel at all like I can crack a joke right now. I don't feel like I could sing a song of thanksgiving. But then he like turns to the gospel. And he's like, wait a second. The proto-martyr, Jesus Christ himself, what did he pray before before the night of his own execution? Father, 
let this chalice pass from me. But not my will, your will be done. Right? Because the act of beseech, like, hey, take this away from me, but in the end, your will, not my will be done. Like, I'm going to ask you, but if it cannot pass from me, your, not my will, but your will be done. So Jesus himself experienced this, and St. Thomas More then immediately found this kind of strength from that. Like, I'm not alone. So when we talk about being baptized into Christ's death, we have to recognize that he's baptized into our, that we are baptized into weakness too. He came in the flesh, and he experiences all the weaknesses that you do. Whatever it is you struggle with, Christ felt those emotions. He didn't give in to sin, so he didn't consent in the way that we did. But he was still terrified before his own death, his own persecution. So he experienced the same things many of us feel before the immensity of like trying to pass on the faith to your children, right? Because it's not easy. It's not easy. I can understand. I don't want to get up, you know, like, okay, it's the weekend. I don't want to go to Mass on Saturday evening or I don't want to go on Sunday morning. Like, yeah, normal feeling. But that's kind of like beside the point in the end. Like, not my will, but your will be done. Father, like, I don't want to go to Mass. Heavenly Father, I don't want to go. I'm tired. The kids scream. That old couple always gives me the, like, side eye. (laughs) Right? Like, I just don't want to go. But not my will, your will be done. Like, I'm still going to take them. I'm still going to take them to Mass. Even if I'm tired, even if it seems like a fight the entire way there, I'm still going to take them. I'm still going to bring them. Because I've been baptized into his death. And so in the same way that he surrendered to his Father's will, I can also receive that same grace. That even though I don't feel like it, even though I feel kind of dead on the inside, I don't feel like I get anything from it. Father Jared's homilies are terrible. Like, whatever it is, like... We can derive something from it, okay? Like, okay, Father, not my will, but your will be done. And so we can, like, entrust ourselves to that. And just like, you know, in the same way that he was, like, mocked, you know? He was mocked by, you know, the soldiers. Like, I wonder, I wonder, you know, like, there's so many things that we, like, focus on the crucifixion, like, the scourging. But one thing I've more recently reflected on is, like, the psychological suffering, like, is there anything worse than being, like, taunted? Can you imagine, like, you're literally the son of God and here, like, is some Joe Schmo soldier and he's, like, puts a crown of thorns on your head and, like, bows down to you in a mocking manner and then they hit you with a reed? Like, can you imagine? After having gone through everything you got up to this point, the scourging, about ready to carry your cross, and, like, that's what you experience. That's how rewarded. Like, so in the same way that if, like, there's the people giving you a side eye, like, Jesus also felt a little bit of that, like, that mocking or, like, that scorn. And also, to be honest, like, if you see that from somebody or somebody ever says anything to you, because I don't know how often this happens. I've heard people tell me this before. You can tell them, well, Father Jared says he wants them there. You know, like, Father Jared wants the kids here. He said that. He said he's okay with it. Make me the bad guy. I don't care. 
Like, that's what I've realized as dad I need to, like, grow into more is just, like, being okay with being the bad guy. If I can help all of you to live a better faith and you, and I, and you throw me under the bus, go for it. I will take that. Happily. So just, like, note that, like, being baptized into his death means that we have to carry that cross. We have to carry that with us. Because it's not easy. It's not easy at all. But then at the same time, like, the good news is then, like, and that's what Easter's about, is, like, it comes to an end. Right? Jesus, his suffering finally ends. Like, sadly, I can, like, like there's kind of that, that thought of, like, you know, like, oh, my gosh, like, I've got to do this for 40 more years. Kidding me? You know? Like, that's, that's what I got to put up with? Okay, fine, whatever. But the reality is, is, like, we have such a great Savior that, it like, it eventually does come to an end. And the end is so much, like... And what comes after that is so much greater than what came before. You know, there's even a small, small little indication the church gives us. Lent is 40 days. Easter season is 50 days. You know? And even in many ways, it should be about 60 days if, you would have, if we would have kept it the way that it used to be, which is you had like the, the octave of Pentecost you'd actually had more like 60 days on the end there of Easter. So this is like the eternity that awaits us, like St. Paul t- says, you know, like, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, what God has in stores for those who love him. For those who love him. You are the ones who love him. Even if you don't feel like you love, like, again, always drawing connections to everyday life. For those of you who are married, like, I don't know how often you've probably gotten mad at your spouse or at the very least probably feel like a little indifferent towards them, right? That same fire that was once theirs, maybe not quite there anymore, or at least not every day. Like sometimes they're a little annoying, they're a bit of a burden. And sometimes you're just not feeling it, right? Like we're talking about with mass, we're just not feeling it. I don't always feel the same love towards like what I do as a priest. It's like there's days like that to where it's like I get to sit down and talk with another person that's going through a lot. And I'm still going to do my best to show them love and care, but I may not be feeling it on the inside. I don't feel particularly loving. I may want to just be like, I want to move on to the next thing, but I've got to stay, right? In the same way, like, don't mistake love of God with, like, that person standing on the street corner, like, that seems really excited about it all the time. Like, that, that may be the love of God for them, but that is not necessarily the way it looks for you. Like your love for your spouse, it's much more complicated. Love is shown in commitment and promise and a willingness to give some time over and a willingness to be honest, like, admit where we have committed a fault, and then taking a step forward, a little steps forward. That's what the love of God is. It's not anything that's like super like warm, fuzzy, or exciting all the time. Like sometimes the love of God is slogging through quicksand. 
when it's just feeling like you're barely getting from one step to the next. That is life. That is love. So just like hold on. Hold on to the cross because there is great comfort there. And so the Lord will lead you through that. And again, St. Paul says then, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, what God has in store for those who love him. Like, whenever the veil of this life is torn away, a new heaven and new earth is created, when, you know, we no longer have to deal with the effects of sinfulness, with our own shortcomings, but instead we receive that glorified body we talked about at the beginning that can pass through walls, that's in some sort of elevated state we can't fully understand, still able to eat, still can feel, but will be perfected, will be brought to a greater level of sanctity and grandeur and glory. We can't imagine how amazing that's going to be in comparison to this. And kind of those, those shackles of like not feeling it pass away. Those shackles of like, I want to give up, pass away. Those shackles of like the day in, day out, grind, pass away. And it gives way to something more glorious. I mean, it's true. It is so true. I will never forget, you know, <laughs> I'll never forget like the day that Gosh darn it, what year in seminary was that? I forget what year it was in seminary, but like a girl I had dated in high school, or hadn't dated, like we had been kind of interested, but like there had always been like that what if kind of like scenario, right? She got married and I saw that she got married and all of a sudden like it hit me like I'm never getting married. And like I had struggled with that for years, but like that day it was like, oh, I'm not getting married. And like everything just kind of passed away. It was like, oh, cool. Like I don't have to hold on to that anymore. And all of a sudden just let it go. Like I stepped out into a new dimension of existence. Like I was finally able to move forward and just be like, okay, not getting married. And like now I'm okay with that. I'm actually kind of excited about that because now I can give myself more fully to this. So something kind of happened to me in that moment. I imagine that, so we have like little moments like this. So what, the reason I shared that with you is like, one, recognize that like, I'm not perfect. Priests aren't perfect, right? We don't exist in kind of this bubble of like, oh, what ifs? It's not like that was the last time I ever thought like, oh, the, like I've never thought since then like, oh, marriage probably would have been better. It just means like that day all of a sudden I experienced it in a very real way. Like I stepped into a new mode of existence in a sense. And I think little moments like that happen in our life are just like a small taste of what eternity's like. Like we get a little taste of what it's like, right? My ordination day, like a little taste of eternity. And people talk about their wedding day. Moms and dads like to talk about the day that their child was born. Like those, those moments where like the eternal comes into our present and it's amazing. But even that's like just a, that's looking through a glass darkly even still. So it's gonna even be beyond those moments. But we get to experience little moments like that that show us a little bit of it, like what it will feel like to be unencumbered by sin. Like the attachments that I have, the desires that I have that are inordinate, that aren't right, 
will eventually pass away and what it feels like to let those go. Like that's what that little moment was for me. It was like, oh, I was able to let go of an inordinate desire, like of the idea that marriage was going to make me happy. That was just a lie. That was a lie. And so as we kind of like journey through that, through this life, we then also get to experience, even now, a little bit of like being baptized into his resurrection, although we won't get to experience that in full until the next life. So most of what we experience is the baptism of, baptism into his death, into his suffering. And that is not necessarily the most hopeful message, perhaps, that you wanted to hear and like, you know, some sort of like a Tony Robbins, like self-help kind of talk or anything of that sort. But it is the truth. And the truth will set you free. And that's the thing that I've realized is like I had to stop like being married to this idea that we have that we can't ever talk about any of these things. Because once we talk about it, a lot of these things lose its power. A lot of these things lose its power. And once we're able to finally admit that we're like in pain, that it's not easy, then it does eventually get easier. Because if I can admit that to myself, I've also found it easier than to have friends to say like, pick up the phone and call and be like, oh man, did I have a day? (laughs) Oh man, did I have a day? Let me tell you about it. And then immediately I'm freed, right? So like in owning up to the truth of what it was allows it to become, like allows me to put it in perspective and for it to not be worse than it is. But then also for me to experience like the gift that it is. Because at the same time, like, the everyday suffering is also like, and the everyday grind is a great gift. Like there's something kind of satisfying that like as I stand before you right now, like it's been one of those days. It feels like every day has been kind of one of those days since I've been, <laughs> again, as we approach beacons. And so it's been like one of those things of like, okay, get to the next day. And while it's kind of been like rough, at the same time as I get to the end of the day, so whenever we eventually get out of here this evening and I finally shut up, like, It'll be over, and I'll be like, oh, wow, we got some stuff done today. That's actually kind of satisfying. I can sleep, like, soundly. (laughs) Because I'm assured that I just, I picked up my cross, carried it, and there was joy in the midst of it. I still had a few laughs. Still had a few moments to where, you know, like, yeah. We were just to be able to discuss the absurdity of all of it. And I think that as we kind of journey through all those things, through this life, you'll see that. That ultimately, as we look life in the face, then we also begin to see the little moments of beauty, right? Those little moments. The difficulties it presents, yes. But ultimately, we also get to see just the Lord work. And we'll see the Lord work in your heart in ways you never imagined. In ways that we never imagined. And so as, you know, like we kind of bring this back to the Mass itself, then this is like where I want, like we've been talking about the Mass all year. Why? Because it is the source and some of the Christian life, right? And we've told you all the reasons, so I don't want to go through all that. Like, but it is, you know, the crosses that are laid upon us by the church are for our good. In the same way that my parents, you know, didn't let me quit a sport mid-season. 
in the same way that my parents made me get up and go to, you know, school every day. It was for my good because they like realized that if I didn't learn to deny myself by them denying me, like I was never going to grow. If they just let me do whatever I want, I would never become a man that was willing to sacrifice. And if I was not a man willing to sacrifice, I would have been a terrible husband. I've been a, now I'd be a terrible priest. Like that's the way that it works. So in the same way, like the church is asking, God's asking, because God laid down this rule first, right? The Ten Commandments. Keep holy the Sabbath. Like going to Mass on Sunday as an obligation is one that's laid upon you for your good. Because just like my parents knew that it was better for me to persevere through the season, and guess what? I wanted to do that seventh grade wrestling, and I was playing three sports at the time. You know, the only sport I was playing my senior year? Wrestling. <laughs> like, so they gave me the one sport that I actually ended up loving with, like, a diehard passion. Because they were like, no, no, like, see it through to the end of the year and see what you think. Then you can make your decision next year. And they told me to go to school because they're like, no, you don't want to go, but you should go. Right? And ultimately, it was always for my good. Same way, the church asks you, I'm asking you, go to Mass on Sunday for your good and the good of your family, the good of your children. Like, you may not feel it, you may not see it at work, but trust that God is doing something in you. God is never like, <laughs> he's never static. There's no time that you show up to Mass and he's not doing something. Even if we're actively like, and this is one of those fascinating things I also see at work. is like you see people come in and they are cold or indifferent. But then I say something controversial, or not really controversial, something true. And you can just see them like the fire just like get lit behind their eyes and they're angry at me. But at the same time, they are confronted. Like they're, awa- they're awoken in a way they're probably not any other time in their life. They probably just skate by. And the moment that I challenged them, it's probably a moment to where they kind of came to life just a bit. And over time that it begins to confront us. Because like I always have to ask myself, like if I get angry at somebody, like, you know, I was like kind of disappointed. Like if I'm ever disappointed with the way that somebody reacts to like a decision I made, I don't think they understand me. Like I have a tendency to get like really like, what the heck's wrong with them? Like, I'm trying to do this for their good. I understand they might be upset with me, but did they not understand what I'm doing? Like, you know, I get into this whole, this whole talk, self-talk with myself, running them down, running myself down. And something like, as I began to realize that would happen, all of a sudden I'd be like, wait, what's going on to me? It's like, oh, I, it's not like they didn't do anything wrong. I didn't do anything wrong. They're having difficulties with it for whatever their reasons are. But why am I struggling? That's the most important thing. And the reason I'm struggling is because, like, I have a desire to always be right. And I want to be understood, more importantly. Like, I don't necessarily want to be right. I just want people to understand where I'm coming from. I want people to say, like, okay, like, I may disagree with you, but I understand why you're doing it this way. And if people don't say that, if people don't seem to understand why I'm doing it, then they get kind of upset. 
like, right? But that's something in me. That's not their fault. That's my fault. I need to be okay with being like, okay, you know who else was misunderstood? Christ. He was misunderstood too, and it was okay. So I can be misunderstood, and it will be fine. God, I can allow the Lord to work it out. I may need to have my part, and I may need to call them and be like, hey, what's going on? Are you okay? What can I do to help you? But that's the question I need to ask. Is I don't need to call them and say, like, do you understand me? Right? I need to call them and make sure that, like, hey, what do you need from me? Do you want, me to, do you want to better understand the situation, or do you want to tell me, like, why you're upset? Okay, I'll let you go there. You see, we like complicated. And so like if somebody like comes to mass, even if they don't want to, they can be confronted with themselves in a way that they marry not somewhere else. Just like I'm confronted or make a hard decision with myself. Like my insecurities, the worst parts myself, like that's what happens. And it's a good thing actually, because then it's an opportunity for me to like say, ooh, I'm not quite as mature or as patient or as, uh, you know, surrendered as I thought I was. And that also gives those individuals that same opportunity as well. If I'm disturbed, something's wrong with me. That's something I always have to try to remind myself of, which is really hard. That's like my problem if I'm disturbed, not theirs, mine. So with going to Mass, like, don't fret. And if you follow the bandwagon the weekend, like, don't use that excuse. That's like one of the Satan's greatest tricks. It's not that he even makes you like consent to one fall. It's like after one fall, he's like, see, no good. You can't do it. And so then what do we do? One week becomes two weeks, two weeks becomes three months. But it's a lie. If you follow the wagon one week, get to confession as soon as you can. If you can't get before the next week, like, just don't receive Holy Communion. Like, if anybody judges you for that, again, that's their freaking issue. Do not make their sin your sin. Like, I wish we would get over that. There's all kinds of reasons why people may not receive Holy Communion. We do not know. We do not know. But don't make, you know, somebody else's, like, tendency towards judgmentalism, your sin. But still come the next week. Still get to confession as soon as you can. But again, do not fall. Or do, do not like fear as a fall as the end. Like a saint is a sinner who keeps trying. And even again, if we're drawing connections to the passion, Christ fell three times. Christ was, did not run like a perfect marathon of like carrying the cross to Calvary. He stumbled, he fell, and he had to get back up and keep going. We too stumble and fall. We need to get back up and keep going. That's why the resurrection is so significant. He persevered to the end, and because of that obedience, he was granted a great reward. And because of our obedience in the small little things, we also will receive a great reward. Like, I can't emphasize this enough. Heaven's a big deal. And just because we can't imagine it doesn't mean it's not worth striving for. In fact, quite the opposite. So don't lose perspective of that. 
Because we're like, this is real stuff. This is real. The Lord wants you there. I don't know how many times I have to indicate that to like people, but like, it isn't just like that I want you there because I want the Archbishop to say like, oh, look, Father Jared's doing a good job. Guess what? Archbishop probably does not pay that close attention to me and he probably like, and that's fine. You need to come and I want you to come because he wants you there. You know? And so that's the most important thing. Like the father desires to have you there. He wants you with all the kids at the table, even the ones that you don't like and even the ones that don't like you, which is another thing that can be hard for me to accept sometimes. But he wants all of us there together. So don't doubt your power over your child. Don't doubt the power over yourself to just simply do it. And even if you fail to like get up and do it again, fall again and do it again, like it's okay. I think the worst thing that I see, and this is like, again, this is like in comparison to like general parish life. There's a huge difference for me. There's a difference between the person that says, we can't do that and we will never do that. And then the person who says, that's a bad idea, Father. That won't work, but I will try. The leap between those two, like those are, those are like only one step away from each other. But the leap, whenever I hear the difference, whenever people like, as we even through beacons, whenever I hear people in that position, it's like, uh-oh. You're not real sure if they're going to like get out of that. But if they add that last part, like I'll try, we've made a big step. Because what does that mean? That means that, well, they're going to try. And usually when somebody begins to try, they realize they can do it. Like once they begin to try, they're like, okay, I think you're an idiot, Father, but we'll try to do it your way. Or like, I'm sorry, I think the archdiocese is stupid for doing it this way. And it's like, but we're going to try. We'll do our best to make it work. And whenever people make a move between the one and the other, it has to be this way. It has to be the way it always has been. And like, I like the old way better, but I guess I'll just have to learn to adjust to this new way. It's a big difference. And it's the same thing for all of you. Like, there may be something in your mind that says, I've never been good at going to church. I've never felt good enough to go. I've never felt like I belong at Mass. So I'm never going to go. And the difference then with like, Father, I've never gotten anything out of Mass. I think it's silly. I'd rather sleep in. I think you're wasting my time. But I'll try. And I'll do it. Those are two very different people. So try to like just simply do it. Like just make that move. Little by little by little. And then you'll begin to see like it isn't like one day I think everybody, that's not to say like eventually everybody comes to my way of thinking. But I think what people come to recognize when they say I'm willing to try is like, okay, the world didn't end because we tried it this way, right? 
The world didn't end, at the very least. Same thing for you. Like, at the very least, the world's not going to end. What do you have to lose? I think that's, again, like, this is something that people miss. Has anybody ever heard of Pascal's Wager? Anybody ever heard that? It's been a long time. Been a long Yeah. So Pascal's Wager, he was this mathematician. He basically posited what he, he called his wager. And people oftentimes portray it as, like he said, this is the way that people perceive it. He basically said that, you know, belief in God or disbelief in God is basically like a 50-50 bet. You go one way, I mean, it's like 50% chance that God exists. And there's 50% chance that God doesn't exist. And you wager your life basically on those two things. It's not exactly what he said. What he says is basically you only have two choices. And he says that the mathematician, I can't even tell you what the probabilities are. He's like, some people would say the probability is that God doesn't exist. There's people who would say it's a high probability that God exists. But he's like, basically your life comes down to two choices. God exists or he doesn't. And his point it was actually not that like you have a 50-50 shot of being right. His point was, okay, if God doesn't exist, what does that mean? Your life's meaningless. It means you're awash in a sea of like nothingness. Like your life means nothing. So like you can wager your life on that. However, there is the other choice that God does exist. And if he does, well, that has huge implications. That means you matter. That means there's also an eternal like reward and punishment. So the way you live your life is going to impact your afterlife. And so his point was not actually that there's like a 50-50 chance or there's a probability one way or another. His point was like basically betting your life on God is the only way you win anything. If you bet the other way, you might be right, but you're going to be right and sad. And so his point was like, basically, this is the only thing worth betting your life on. The other option sucks. So choose the only option that gives you something to actually good to strive for, to live for. Like, I'm not a scientist. I can't give you those probabilities. I think he does. Why? Because I've experienced him. I've encountered him, and you can't tell me it wasn't God. But I can't write that up into a mathematical equation or give you scientific proofs. What I can give you is that you have a lot more to gain. And so that's what I offer you. That's what the church is, what Christ offers you. It's the opportunity for your life to be something, to mean more than just making money for the man. That gives you more than just simply getting from one week to the next getting yourself and your kids to the next event. It actually means that you matter to someone who will never leave you. Not that I think you're spousing me, but I mean like death brings all of us to an end. Someone who's never going to leave is the Lord. So know that like this is worth betting your life on. That was Pascal's choice, Pascal's point. That's my point. This is the one thing worth, like, betting your life on.
This is the one thing worth going forward on. So like, take that to heart. And again, that doesn't mean it's all because also if we believe in God, that means we, as Christians, we believe in a merciful God. So all's not lost if we mess up. That's the good news. That's the great news. Like, if you messed up and you're here today, like, thank God you're here. But let's try to get it right. Let's try to correct it. Let's just try to take it one day at a time, one minute at a time. Like, that's what I sometimes have to do is, like, I'm not trying to get through the day. I'm trying to get through the next, you know, hour, the next 20 minutes. Like, some days are like that, right? Like, just fighting through, like, okay, I'm going to live the next minute. If that's all I got for God. Next hour, next day, whatever the, whatever the increment of time is that you can actually manage at this point in time. Like, that's all you can do. And that's enough. It's more than enough. And that's why I'm here to assist you. Like, turn to us. Ask Barb, ask Father Aaron, ask Father Mondike, Father Wreckers, when they get here as well. Like, ask for help. Don't think I'm going to be like, shove away, like, nope, too bad. Not going to. We just want to help. We want to do what's best for you. We want to help give you the best possible options for living life and betting your life on the Lord. So as you begin this summer, like, want you to be at Mass. Summer's an easy time to fall off. Don't let it happen. Don't let it happen. Make sure it's on the schedule each week. As you plan your weekend, Make it the first thing you plan. Make it the first thing you make sure you're getting done. Okay? And we'll be here for you. And even if it's like, well, Father, I'm traveling elsewhere. I don't care. You can go to Mass at Our Lady of the Lake and, you know, Missinawa, Wichita, like, Wisconsin. I don't care. Just get to Mass. You know, wherever that is, wherever you're at, just want you to get there. Okay? So I think that's the end of it. Does anybody have any questions? Otherwise, we get now a little early. So I told you you'd probably be done early. But... Nothing? All right. Well, let's just end with the glory be then. In the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end, amen. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. Thanks be to God.